looking at some extraordinary people who were very ordinary, but they ended up doing very extraordinary things. And so we'll start today by uh, looking at uh, at Moses. And uh, would we all agree Moses did some pretty extraordinary stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary stuff. I mean, leading the whole nation of Israel uh, out of slavery in, in Egypt uh, along the way, you know, some little stuff like uh, getting water out of a rock, not a bad deal, huh? I mean, uh, Moses was, uh, you know, just a great uh, example of leadership and uh, um, obviously did some extraordinary stuff in bringing the people to that uh, promised land experience. As we look at Moses, though, we need to kind of go back to the very beginning and, and get a little perspective on what was going on uh, in his life and his entrance uh, into the world. And you'll remember that uh, the people of Israel were down there in Egypt because they had gone down to Egypt during a great famine and the whole story of Joseph in the Old Testament where you know God worked through Joseph and rescued uh, Israel, his brothers. And, and uh, so the people of God were down there in Egypt and they were under the protection of uh, Joseph and they prospered and they grew and they multiplied and God's favor and God's blessing was on them. Uh, trouble is, Scripture tells us eventually uh, that Pharaoh, Joseph, of course, died, and the Pharaoh died, and a new king uh, took uh, took the throne. And you kind of pick it up there. If you if you go to Exodus 1 and, and uh, grab your handout, you can follow along there too. But Exodus 1, it says, Many years later, a new king came to power, and he didn't know what Joseph had done for Egypt, and he told the Egyptians, There are too many of those Israelites in our country, and they're becoming more powerful than we are. Is God's favor really good? Yeah. If we don't outsmart them, their families will keep growing larger. And if our country goes to war, they could easily fight on the side of our enemies and escape from, from Egypt. So the people of God are becoming a problem for the people of Egypt. So Pharaoh comes up with a great solution to that problem, how to cut down the numbers. And so if you look at his solution in the next slide, he goes to the midwives who are in charge, of course, of delivering children. He says... Uh, to the, to the two midwives, he says, If a Hebrew woman gives birth to a girl, let the child live. If the baby is a boy, do what? Kill him. Get rid of the boy. But the two women were faithful to God and did not kill the boys, even though the king had told them to. So here's the situation for the entrance of Moses into the world. He is entering under a death threat. Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, has said all the boys who are born to Hebrew women are to be killed. And it's just the faithfulness of two women who stand up and say, no, I'm going to be faithful to God and not to the king. I'm going to be faithful more to God than to the king that preserves the entrance of Moses into the world. <clears throat> so we can start out, I think, by making a great, simple observation about Moses, right? Moses was just an ordinary Hebrew baby. He was born into the world just like all babies come into the world. I mean, when Moses was born, there was no uh, star over his house. There was no uh, visit of three wise men. I mean, none of that stuff happened, right? When Moses was born, he was born into the ordinary experience and situation of his world at that time. He was an ordinary Hebrew baby. Now, he was born into some extraordinary situations because we just read all the boys who were born were supposed to be killed. So now Moses is born into the world. It said a man from Levi, a tribe, married a woman from the same tribe, and she later had a baby boy, and he was a beautiful child, and she kept him inside 
for three months. So Moses is born this ordinary Hebrew baby, and mom hides him, and the midwives, of course, let him live, and, and mom hides him uh, for three months. But at the end of three months, she has to make a decision, right? She has this beautiful baby boy, but she knows she can't keep him because there's the order put out by Pharaoh. So she takes an extraordinary step. This mother decides the best thing she can do is just release her child into the total hands of God. She just decides the only thing she can do. She can't keep him anymore. She kept him for three months. If they discover him, of course, what are the Egyptians going to do? Kill him. So instead, she says, look, the best thing that I can do is let go of my son and take my child and put him totally into the hands of God, that that whatever his future holds, I'm going to totally let go of my child and I'm just going to let God take care of my child. Isn't that an extraordinary step, moms? It's the only thing she can do. So she takes this extraordinary step and it says when she can no longer keep him hidden, in the next slide, it says she can no longer keep him hidden, and so she takes a basket out of the, uh, uh, makes a basket out of reeds and covers it with tar, and she puts the basket and, uh, and places it in the grass and the, along the River Nile, right? So now she takes this child and just sets him onto the River Nile at the edge and lets him float into the water, and she has to totally let go and totally trust whatever God has in store for her child. God will accomplish. It happens. Pharaoh's daughter is there down at the River Nile, and uh, she sees the basket, sends her uh, maid to go get it, and of course uh, the child is rescued, and Moses eventually is brought into into Pharaoh's house. See, now this is the start of Moses' life. It's an ordinary Hebrew child, but the mother puts him in a position from the very beginning that says, your life has to be totally dependent on what God desires for your purposes. Wouldn't you agree? She lets him go to whatever God's design and purpose for his life is. And wouldn't you agree, it is obvious that God is working in this child's life. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And he's brought into the household of Pharaoh. And he is now made a prince of Egypt. It says... uh, As the story unfolds, it says the baby's mother carried him home, took care of him. And when he was old enough, she took him to the king's daughter who adopted him. She named him Moses because she said, I pulled him out of the water. Don't you get a real clear sense in this ordinary Hebrew child's life that God is working? It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Pretty extraordinary story. And yet it's obvious from us as we sit here today and we look back at this ordinary Hebrew child and we look how things unfold, we understand, wow, this is pretty extraordinary stuff. This is absolutely amazing. The way God was just working in the middle of all of this. Moses was born ordinary and yet the things that unfolded in his life were absolutely extraordinary. God working. Now, here's the deal. It's easy for us to sit here today and look backward at Moses' life and say, yeah, absolutely, we can see the hand of God working. But weren't you born an ordinary baby just like him? 
I mean, didn't you come into the world the same way Moses did? In fact, you came probably under the benefit of not being under a death threat, right? Yet somehow it seems harder for us to look at our own lives and see the possibility that God could be doing exactly the same thing in our lives. Our ordinary lives. That just as Moses was born into the world, and just as God had a purpose, and just as God had intention for his life, and just as God was working in his life, so is it possible that we ordinary people could have the same activity of God in our lives? Moses is brought into the house of Pharaoh. How extraordinary is it that Moses is brought into the very place, the very household, that he would years later need to go to to get the release of God's people. Now he goes from being an ordinary Hebrew baby to becoming an extraordinary prince of Egypt. He grows up as a prince of Egypt. He grows up understanding how Pharaoh works. He grows up understanding all the ins and outs of what makes uh, Egypt the place that it is. He understands the inner workings of how decisions are made in Pharaoh's house. And he understands the heart of Pharaoh from early on. Isn't it extraordinary? Ordinary Hebrew baby ends up in extraordinary household of Pharaoh and in the process he learns everything he needs to learn for the purpose that God has for him. Do you get a sense that God is preparing him for something in this experience? Ordinary child. And yet God is working to prepare him for something extraordinary. And the only place that Moses gets in trouble is when Moses grows up and he begins acting on his own. Now remember what mom did, right? Mom put him totally into God's care, didn't she? Moses gets older, gets his comeuppance going, right? Gets his own sense, right? And he starts taking things in his own hands. And now he starts deciding he's going to take care of his people Israel. And look what happens when Moses acts on his own. It says, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were hard at work. And he saw an Egyptian beating one of them. And Moses looked around to see if anyone was watching. Then he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in a stand. Isn't there some great irony in that experience? Here, God has been working all of these years to bring Moses along to the purpose that God has for him. And Moses, when he gets older, takes things into his own hand and tries to rescue one of God's people and messes it up. And yet God is preparing him to rescue the entire nation. Isn't that incredible? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Ordinary people that we are. How many times do we take things into our own hands and put ourselves as an obstacle to what God is trying to accomplish in our lives? How many times do, you know, is God working in our, in our ordinary lives and, and moving us toward whatever it is and the purposes that He has for us and then somehow we just take hold of things and, 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 you, and then we mess it up? I mean, don't you want to say to Moses, Moses, get back in the basket, man. 
Go, go back, get, be a baby, get back in that basket that you were when you were in a baby, when you were just floating on the Nile and totally trusting God for whatever your future had. Moses, stop taking stuff into your honey. Just get back in the basket and trust God, okay? Instead, Moses has to flee out into the wilderness. He flees out into the wilderness, and even out into the wilderness, it becomes a time of God preparing him. It says, when the king, Pharaoh, heard that what Moses had done, the king wanted to kill him, but Moses escaped and went to the land of Midian. And once again, he's under a death threat. How ironic again, huh? Once again, Moses is under a death threat. So Moses escapes out into the wilderness. And when he's out into the wilderness, Moses has this experience that most of us, these ordinary people that we are, go through. He has the experience of settling down. He settles down. Moses goes out in the wilderness and circumstances unfold. And he becomes a shepherd and he meets a woman and they have babies. And he's got a job. He's a shepherd now. And he just kind of settles in. But, but don't you wonder how many times Moses, as he settled into his job out there in the wilderness, as he, as he settled into his role of being a husband and provider, as he, as he just kind of settled into life the way it was, uh, how many times he thought to himself, man, I was once a prince of Egypt. Well, I wonder what my life would have been like if I just wouldn't have killed that Egyptian. How many times do you suppose he second-guessed what he did? How many times do you suppose he said, Man, I, I, I was born for more than this. I mean, keep this in mind. Egyptians, Egyptians despised shepherds. They despised them. They thought they were worthless. Moses, remember, was raised in Pharaoh's house. And now what is he doing with the rest of his life? A shepherd. He's doing that job that he once despised. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind for 40 years as he was a shepherd? Wondering, is this it? Is this all I'm here for? Is this all I'm supposed to accomplish? But God, of course, had not forgotten his people. God, of course, had not forgotten Moses either. You see, the real question for us right now about Moses in this time of his life is also the question that you and I have. Can we accept, can we understand that even those times when we're in the wilderness can be used by God for God's purposes? Can we do that? Can, can we accept that as, as, as our life unfolds and, and we're not all, always experiencing all the good stuff of being the prince of Egypt, can, can we accept when we're out there in the wilderness, when things are going difficult, when we're dealing with our disappointments, can we accept that even in the midst of all of that, God can be using and preparing us for something extraordinary? Moses is in the wilderness. He needs time in the wilderness. Why? Because when he was the prince of Egypt, he messed up. He took things into his own hands. He needs to get into a better place with God where he's ready to just trust God, don't you think? He needs the experience of the desert. But can we accept that even in the experience of the desert, God is preparing us for something that could be extraordinary according to God's purposes? 
Why is he doing it? Because God is God and God doesn't forget. If you look at the text again and you look at the 23rd verse, it says, after the death of the king of Egypt, the Israelites still complained because they were forced to be slaves and they cried out for help and God heard their loud cries and he did not forget the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because he knew what was happening to his people, he felt sorry for them. He didn't forget. God doesn't forget his promises. God doesn't forget the purpose and the plan he has for people's lives. God doesn't forget the things that he can accomplish in and through us. He doesn't forget. And so now after 40 years, God once again comes to Moses. After 40 years, God once again gets actively involved in Moses' life. Here's the problem. Moses is content. Moses has been doing the shepherd thing for 40 years. He's been just doing what he does every day. Life has just been unfolding. He is in that place of complacency. And so God has to get Moses' attention. And the way God gets Moses' attention is through that experience of the burning bush. An extraordinary experience where Moses is out watching the sheep and he sees the bush burning and... Bushes have burned out in the desert before, but but this was different. This was different because the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning. It was an extraordinary thing. So extraordinary that Moses looks at it and says, man, i got to go check this out. He says, this is strange. If you follow the text down at the bottom there, he says, man, this is strange. He says to himself, I'll go over and see why the bush isn't burning up. God does something unusual in his life in order to get Moses' attention. Isn't that interesting? Here's the question for you. What has God been doing in your life to try to get your attention? I mean, are there things? I mean, think things that you didn't expect or, or extraordinary kind of thing? I mean, things that are happening? I mean, what does it take in your comfortable life for God to wake you up to a purpose and intention he has for your life. What does it take? For Moses, it was a burning bush that wasn't burning. For some of us, it can be a host of other things. Maybe it's losing our job or, or having somebody important to us move away or a variety of things, right? A variety of things that cause us to step back and say, whoa, wait a minute, is, is this what it's about? Is this what life, is this why I'm here? Cause us to step back and look at our values and look at our priorities and, and rethink what's important about life. What is it that God needs to use in your life to wake you up to the purposes He still has for you? Moses, he goes checks out the bush. And when he goes to check out the bush, he draws closer to the presence of God. It says, when the Lord uh, saw Moses coming near the bush, he called him by name and Moses answered, here am I. God replied, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy. Moses draws into a closer relationship with God. And here's what's extraordinary about that verse. Did you notice it? Did you notice it's very intentional that God calls Moses, what? By name. Oh my gosh. God knows your name. God knows your name. God knows exactly what you need. God knows exactly where your life needs to go for His purposes. 
He knows you so intimately that He knows everything that He needs to do in your life, whether it's bringing you into a princely palace or whether it's taking you out in the desert for a while. God knows you. And He still knows what He can accomplish in your life. Here's a real interesting thing. Anybody know how old Moses is right now at this point when he's standing there in front of the bush? About 80 years old. 80 years old. So you folks out there that are retired saying, well, I'm done. Are you kidding me? Moses is 80 years old. And he's just getting to the place that God wants to do an extraordinary thing in his life. How awesome is that? The Lord said, I've seen my people. He doesn't forget. I know they're suffering. I've heard it. And so now he is ready for Moses to become that extraordinary person that God has been preparing him to be both in the palaces and out there in the desert. And he only needs one thing. Moses only needs one thing. He says, now go to the king. I'm saying you to lead my people out of, his, out of this country. But Moses said, who am I to go to the king and lead your people out of Egypt? Do you see what happened to Moses right there? God's prepared him all the way along. God's looking at him and saying, You're ready, Moses. This is the time. I'm putting the call on your life. This is the moment right here. Moses, you are absolutely in the place that I want you to be. But what has to happen? Moses has to hear that, receive that, and believe that. And instead, what does Moses say? You're kidding, right? Who am I? You, really? Me? Nah. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? You see, there's some of you sitting out there today and God is putting a call on your life and you're pushing the call away because you're saying, man, it couldn't possibly mean me. I know the things I've done. I know the things I've thought. I know the places where I've failed in life. I know the extraordinarily horrible things that have been part of my life. How in the world could God even think of putting a call on my life? Look again. He's calling Moses. And who is Moses? He is a murderer. A murderer. And God chooses to make him extraordinary. You see, you missed the point. It's not about who you are. It's all about who God is. That what, that's what the text tells us. Moses is asking the wrong question. It's not about who am I. It's about who God is. Look what God replies in verse 12. God replied, I will be with you. And you will know that I am the one who sent you when you worship me on this mountain after you have led my people out of Egypt. It's not about who Moses is. It's about who God is. And look at God. God already knows, sees, and understands the future and says, Moses, you're going to get it when you get the people out here. God already knows. God's already got it all in place. From God's perspective, it's as good as done. And all Moses has to do is say, here am I, send me. Ordinary people who become absolutely extraordinary 
because they believe the same thing Moses' mother believed from the beginning. That when you put yourself totally in the hands of God, He can do extraordinary things in you and through you. Question of the day. What is God trying to put on your heart that you're pushing away? What, what is God trying to bring you to in your life that he, He's planned for, He's prepared, prepared you for, He's brought you to this moment to accomplish? And you're saying, no, not me, send someone else. That's what Moses ends up saying. Moses ends up responding and saying, begging the Lord, Lord, send somebody else. That's what we do. Lord, I know I should be in a small group, but send somebody else to the group, with you? Lord, I know I should be out visiting the sick, but send somebody else to do that, will you? Lord, I know it's a possibility I should be going to Africa and really caring for the orphans, but Lord, send somebody else, will you? And the hardest one, Lord, I know you asked me and you prepared me and you gift me with the ability to give away 10% of my income, but let somebody else do that, will you? And yet, God already sees and knows what He is ready to accomplish in your life. Are you ready to receive that call that God has worked for, prepared for, and brought you to in this point in your life? And don't wait until you're 80. Don't wait. And when God gets your attention, whatever it is, when He gets your attention... Respond. Here am I. Here am I. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We ask that you would just be that extraordinary person in our lives. Help us to do even more. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And help us to just believe that, that you've prepared us. That you wouldn't ask us to do anything that, that you haven't prepared us to accomplish Father, we just pray, bring us to that place, and, and whether it's in the, in the palaces or out in the desert, whatever it is you need to do to get our attention, get our attention and get us on that path and put us in that basket of just totally depending on you for everything and trusting you because you don't forget your promises and you hear the cries of your people. And for you, it's as good as done. Work in our everyday. Work in our ordinary that we can become extraordinary for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.